you know, we're all growing together, and so that's not, that's not the Pastor Justin show, you know, and I don't want, that, want it to be that, and, um, and so I just want us all growing together and, and just being what God's created us to be, and, and so uh, if you're, this is your first uh, time out to Next Level Men's Ministry, our once-a-month meeting, you know, this, this year, uh, we're going through a series called Making of a Champion, and, and I'm dealing with the life, the life of Nehemiah. And, and we've learned about this whole aspect of, of what is a champion. And, we, and, I, and I made this statement the first time we were together. And it says, what is, what is it that makes a true champion? The starting point of becoming a champion first is realize that the key to being a person God can use mightily is not fame, intellect, or magnetism. It's not skill. It's not the ability to communicate. It's not wit or stature or even money. But it's character. What, what is a, a true champion? Because we can look at different people in the world and say, man, that's a champion. That's an amazing person. They did amazing things. But really what comes down to a, a true champion is someone that is a person of character. And, uh, and on your sheet of paper there, there's a, there's a phrase there that says, a person of character looks and acts like. And, and so read these with me. What does a person of character look and act like? One, say this, read it with me. Step up. Step up. Read it, let's read it together. Be a man of action. Assume it is your job in your moment. Hate apathy, reject passivity, refuse to live as a spectator in life. Speak out. Silence in the midst of sin is a sin. Be courageous. Fear God, not man. Speak the truth in love. Stand strong. Don't give in when you're challenged, attacked, or criticized. Above all, refuse to compromise. Stay humble. Be vigilant against pride. Get the log out of your eye. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Serve the king. Seek first his kingdom, his glory, his righteousness. Hope in the eternal and live for a greater reward. And so that's what this series is all about. Is us stepping into being what God's created us to be. Because we're all, all created different, amen? We all have different things. And the Bible says, he says, For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of plans of peace and not evil to give you hope in your final outcome. If you could see the greatness of what God sees about you. You know, no one, when they, when they, when they grow up and they're, when they're small, when you ask, ask a kid, well, what do you want to be, be when, you're, when, you, when you grow up? Oh, I want to be homeless. No one says that. No one said, when you grow up, well, you know what, I, 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 I want to be, be a failure. You know, when I grow up, I be, no, no kid says that. Why? Because on the inside of every child, on the inside of every young person is this seed of greatness that I'm going to do something great. I'm going to influence someone else's life. I'm going to do something that no one else can do. I'm going to be someone that's going to make an impact in my world. That's down on the inside of each and every single single one of us. But a lot of times we allow the world to dictate what that thing is and not allowing God and and discovering what that is. And I'm telling you, if you could could tap into the, 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 on the inside of you and see the greatness that God's placed there and not measure yourself against the rest of the world. Because a lot of times when you measure yourself against the rest of the world, then you may see yourself, well, I haven't done that, or I'm not like that person, I'm not like this person. But wait a minute, you haven't even begun to tap into what God might have for you. Amen? I never thought I would have gone the places I've been, seen the, seen the things I've seen, talked to some of the people I've been able to talk to. I never thought growing up and, 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 and being in a small town in Maryland, who I saw myself as a failure, be able to go to Africa and speak to a Muslim university and talk to them about purpose. Now, they, they let me speak there, but they said I couldn't, I, I, they said I could talk about Jesus, I just couldn't talk against Muhammad or Allah. And, and so I talked to them about purpose. 
Because, because that's, that's something God's created down on the inside of each and every single one of us. So in order, this greatness and this becoming this champion, it comes down to this, this character that God is shaping and, and this character that we allow God to shape each, each one of us. Amen? Now, thinking about what's important, what's the foundation? Because the foundation of any building, the foundation of any structure will depend on the success of that structure. Jeff, can you put that uh, one building up there, the first one I told you? Anyone know what this building is? It's, it's the new uh, World Tower, the World One Tower, right? In, in New York, the one that for to the memorial of the World Trade Center. It's, it's almost 1,800 feet high. Now, put the next, the next slide up there. Anybody know what, knows what this building is? It's, it's, it's called the Burr... Khalif, not Wiz Khalifa, but it's Burr Khalifa is, is the name of the building. And this building is a thousand feet taller than the, than the one world building. A thousand feet taller. Man, a thousand feet. And the world tower is the sixth tallest building in the world. And here, this building in Dubai is almost 2,800 feet tall. Now, now, get a picture of this. The foundation of this building, it has 192 pillars. These, they, they call them, uh, they call them yeah, pillars that go down and 164 feet deep with, that are five feet in diameter. And it rests on top a, a raft foundation. And you know how much concrete is in this foundation? It's equivalent to 100,000 100, adult elephants, which would come down, which measure at 1.5 trillion pounds of concrete. That's how much concrete and how much of these pillars are supporting the tallest building in the world. That comes out to 31,588 uh, 31, feet of pylons and pillars that are going into the ground, which is, which is tw- if you measure all their length together, is 12 times taller than the building itself. Just to support this building. The foundation to any structure is the most important thing to that structure. And becoming great in life is no different than becoming an amazing building. To become great in life is going to depend on the strength of your foundation. A champion is a champion because the foundation he builds in his life. Nehemiah was great. Let me say it again. A champion is a champion because of the foundation he builds in his life. Nehemiah was great not because he rushed to the king... But he went to God first. See, it's, it's, not about, it's not about being the first person to, to do action. But it's the first person that chooses to turn towards God. How many people in Israel could have been the ones to rebuild, this, rebuild these walls, but yet no one in Israel were doing it? It took a man that lived in another nation to hear about it from his brother and all of a sudden get compassion down on the inside of me that I've got to do something about those walls. This is my people. This is my homeland. I've got to do something about this. But you know what? He didn't just go into the king and say, hey, king, I got to do this, man, and you got to help me, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. No, the first thing he did is he went to pray. The foundation of a champion is a person that understands this life of prayer. A true champion is nourished by his time spent in prayer. 
He realizes the success of everything is founded on keeping first things first. And that's what tonight's called, first things first. He found his strength there. He received wisdom there. He didn't get what he needed from natural things, but he got it from his prayer time. Prayer was more important to him than any other thing. You see, in a champion, someone that a champion in the sports arena is no different. So their personal training is their most important thing. Yeah, there's some, there's some athletes that are born with natural talent, but it, it doesn't matter how much natural talent they're born with, they have to have it's their personal training. Well, yeah, they're, they're, you know, yeah, well, we just, you know, I, my son would always tell me when we, when we go to sports and, and, and he, he didn't like practice. I just want to play the games, Dad. I just want to pray, play the games. You know, I, I'm made for the game, Dad. I'm not, I'm not made for practice. I'm made for the game. I was, like, I was like, you don't get it yet. Because your greatness is going to depend on your ability and your personal time, your personal training. You know, it doesn't matter how great you could have been in high school as a, as a running back. You can't stop training there. You have to go in and you go into the next level. You got to train harder. You got to train more. You got to train. You got to eat different. You got you to you do different things. You, and it's that personal training time. It's the, it's the time in the weight room. It's the time doing cardio. It's the time doing the stretching. It's the time doing... I, I remember um, uh, Tony Armstrong... Some of you guys know him here. Um, and when he got out, of, he played for Arizona, University of Arizona in uh, football. And he got drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs out of college. And then, he, uh, then after that, he was traded to the Seahawks. And he told me, he says, one of, one of his training things that he did all the time that helped his agility more than anything else was playing racquetball. And I played racquetball with him because I, I played tennis and so I played racquetball with it. And, and I, I, could, I could hang with him. But the thing is, is he wore me out because his arms were so long. And I'm like running everywhere. And he's just, bam, bam. You know, but the thing is, is he, he learned. He says, he goes, I would do this hours a day with, with other, other wide receivers. We would play racquetball for, for agility, side to side. And quit running up and running back. And, and it helped with everything. And it, it, was, it was that. It was the weight room. It was, it was jumping higher. It was everything. But it, it took the personal training. It's that personal time. And it's no different in your walk with God. It's no different if, if you own a business, if you're in ministry, if you're a father, if it doesn't matter what it is. It's the most important part of your life to become great in any area is going to come down to what's this personal time all about. As for us being champions in life, we can't go forward and do great work without first retreating to him in prayer. Let me say that again. As for us being champions in life, We can't go forth and do great work for God without first retreating into prayer. It's not about doing first. It's not about doing first. It's it's not about, you know, for me, when it it comes to a Sunday morning, it's, it's it's not about preaching first. It's about my time with God first. And it's out of my time with God comes what I'm going to speak. It's, it's out of my time with him when it comes to being a father or a husband. It's, it's my personal time and out of my personal time will flow the success in those other areas. The downfalls in my personal life have come because of my unwillingness to retreat to him. I can, I can, I can trace back any failure, any bad decision or bad choice in my life back to I didn't take the time to retreat to him. You know, honestly, in my own life, you know, there's times where I felt like a failure in, in, in my, my private time. 
And some of you heard me talk about it a couple weeks ago. I didn't know how to pray. How do you, how do you have quiet time? How, and, and instead of just realizing God wants to talk to me and I wanna talk to him. And it's taking that time, that personal time. Listen, if you have your Bibles, look at Nehemiah chapter one. Verse four, it says, and when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for days and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So when he heard about the walls, this is what the first thing he sat down, he wept, he mourned for days and he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, oh Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God who keeps covenant, loving kindness and mercy for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open and listen to the prayer of your servant. This was the first thing that he did. There was nothing average about Nehemiah. You know, in, in the natural, he was a servant. He was a cupbearer. But in our minds today, you know, you're like someone that's considered a servant or really you could say someone that's a slave. But yet there was nothing average about him. Don't allow your environment. Don't allow your position don't allow where you are to determine whether you're going to be great in God or not. Because your greatness in God has nothing to do, about, do with your current status or the current place where you are. There was nothing average about him. In, in the natural, we might have looked at him and said, oh, well, he's just an average guy and he's a slave to the king. Nehemiah I didn't see that. He's, he's, he, he's, going, he's getting with God and saying, God, you're the only one that can do something about this. He was a man of action, but yet... As a man of action, he took four months before he did anything. Amen. See, sometimes we're, we're, we're quick to want to figure out, okay, what do I do next? What, what's my next step? Okay, okay, God, what do I do? Just hurry up and tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay, God, well, I had this challenge. I had this. Okay, God, hurry up and tell me what to do and then, and then, then I'll do it. But th- this is when the case with Nehemiah, he took four months. Don't get in a hurry for your next step. Don't get in a hurry for, for, for the decisions that you have to make before you. Don't get, don't get worried if you're not sure about what decision. There's some things as a pastor and as a, as a father and things even presently having to deal with my young, youngest son who's 11, you know, and how, and how do I deal with this and deal with this particular attitude that I see in him? And how do I, how do, I do this? You know what? I, I'm, not always, I'm not always getting the answer right away. But it takes me willing to say, okay, God, all right, and, and, and looking things from different angles, okay, how do you want me to do with this? Let me, okay, should I, do, do I need to do this? And allow him to direct me in those little victories, in those little areas of my life. Because he wants to. He wants to direct those little areas in our lives. Now, you got to understand this. Prayer is not inactivity. It's not inactivity. If he was going to build a wall for God, it was going to be built on the foundation of prayer. A lot of times people think, well, you know, prayer is doing nothing. It's not doing nothing. It's, it, it's putting yourself in a position to receive information to make your life better, to take your life to a whole other place. I had to come to realize in my own life that first things had to be first and not get in a hurry. And I just had to said this a minute ago. When I've done things in a hurry, it usually went wrong. <laughs> no decision is so urgent that there's not time enough to pray about it. Amen. You know, my, my staff knows, don't put me in a position to have to make a decision right now. 
Don't, don't put me in a corner and say, okay, we, we need, we need $5,000 and we need $5,000 like right now. I, I, I don't, don't do that. I, I'm, I'm not going to say yes. I, I need time to, to be able to go to the Lord and pray about it. And even when it pertains to, I, I remember with, uh, when my wife and I were looking for a home and uh, we were in a, in a, we had gotten married, we we're a blended family. And, um, and uh, we were in a small house that was 1,200 square feet. We had uh, two bedroom, three bedroom and our, one kid, one of our sons was, he was a senior in high school. The other one at the time was, she was 13. And then at that time, Bryn was uh, three and going on three. And, and so, so Bryn would sleep in our bedroom and, and which is not a great thing for newlyweds, you know, but you know, oh, well, it's, there was no place else to go. So, so anyway, we're dealing with this. And so here we're coming on a year and Annette's like, we need, we need a house. And we've been looking for six months and she gets so frustrated with me. She'd be like, she, she, she was like, I love this house. And I'm like, that's not the one. And we go to this other house and, and, and she used, and she always, it's a fixer upper. And, and I'm like, and I'm, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, when do we have time to be fixer upper people? I was like, when do we have time? I don't have time to paint anything. When, when do we have time to rebuild and re? And if you say, I, I can use a hammer and a screwdriver and, and I'm limited even with that. I mean, so I'm like mechanically and constructionally challenged. So that's why I've called Tommy and Joe and just different ones to, to help me out. But she kept wanting, well, how about this one? And, and, and as soon as we went in this one house, we, we, we come out and, and she looks at me. She goes, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm not even going to ask you. I, she goes, I hate looking at houses with you. Because you don't like anything that I like. And I'm going, ah, I, was going I, was like, I was like, it's just not it. It's not it. It's not it. Because I don't want to be put in a challenge of I just have to say yes. And, and, and so don't put me in a decision just to say yes or, or just do something. No, I have to take the time to, because every decision, don't look at every decision as just, well, I, I did it that way last time. Don't do that. How do, because every situation is different. When I sit down and meet with people, and it maybe was an, an issue with marriage or an issue with finances, is, is if I sit here and I talk with Jim and, and get wisdom from God for Jim in our conversation, I can't go, oh, well, that might work for Doug. Okay, so I'll just tell Doug the same thing I told him. That, that, that's not right. That's right. And so the thing is, is, is we have to learn how to take the time, no matter what decisions we're making, not to be in a hurry. But, to be, but make sure we're going to God. How do I do this? And this is what great men are made of. This is what great men are made of, that personal time, that personal training in their lives. Nehemiah waited four months, but yet he was a man of action. Prayer is the first things first. And we see that he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted and prayed. Now let's look at verse six. It says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open and listen to the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you day and night for the Israelites, your servant confessing the sins of the Israelites. Now listen, your servant confessing the sins of the Israelites, which we have sinned against you. Yes, I and my father's house have sinned. Wait a minute, this, this scripture really amazes me because this is such a selfless scripture. Because the thing is, is he wasn't even in Israel. He had never been in Israel in his life, but yet he would get on his knees and he would repent on behalf of, of something he never did. See, a person of prayer is a person that will take responsibility. 
It was a person of, that would take responsibility. He took responsibility for their failures. Let's look at verse 8. It says, remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you transgress and are unfaithful, I will scatter abroad among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts were in the farthest parts of the heavens, the expanse of space, yet will I gather, uh, gather them from there and I will bring them to the place in which I've chosen to set my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Another first thing when it pertains to prayer, not only did he, he take responsibility for their failures, but he went to the word. He went to the word. Part of, part of putting first things first is knowing what God says about you. Knowing what God says about your situation. What is, in this time of prayer, he went to them and said, you, what, remember what Moses said, that they would be scattered, but he said, but he said you would return if we would repent. And, he, and he's thanking God for, the, he's praying and he's thanking God for redeeming them and, 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 and forgiving them and saving them. This is, a, this is a champion. A champion is a man that, that, that prays first. It's a man that takes responsibility for, for, for everyone's failures. Not, I'm pointing the finger at someone else. Point, well, it's that person's fault. Or it's, no, no, it's like we're a team. You know, in sports, it's not just, well, it's because that person failed. No, we, if we failed, we failed as a team, right? Not putting off on someone else. That's what a true champion does. But a champion here, he also went to the word to see what God said about them, what God had, had in store for them. He took God at his word. Let's go to look at Nehemiah 2.20. Now, one thing you have to understand about Nehemiah, because of prayer, he was able to see what other people can't see. Where everyone saw crumbled stones, he saw walls being built. He looked at heaps of ashes and everyone else would see heaps of ashes and he saw new gates. God always uses people that see beyond what seems to be and grasp a vision of something greater. You know, if you look at here in Nehemiah 2.20, he says, I answered them, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we and his servants will arise and build. So think about this. He's, he's already saying, the God of heaven will prosper us, therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. See, even before he had started building, even before they built one day, he had already seen it on the inside of him that because of my four months of praying, God has given me the plans, he's given me the strategy, he's given me the things that I need to do this, and he's already seen it on the inside of him on how these walls are going to be built. But it started in that four months of prayer. It started in that four months of getting with God and allowing God to give him direction for his life. And that's what making of a champion is all about. It's about going to God. It's a man of faith. It's about seeing things greater. When you go to your prayer time, what you're doing is you're opening yourself up for God to build a vision in your life about your work, about your vision, about your calling. It's about him speaking to you about next steps, speaking to you about maybe things that you don't know about yourself. Talking about, thinking about seeing something greater. I, I came across a story of a, a guy named George Mueller. Go ahead and put his picture up there. George Mueller. Kind of, maybe not. It's all good. But anyway, with this George Mueller. He lived almost 100 years. He lived, almost lived the whole century of the 1800s. 
And here he was born in Germany. But when he was born in Germany, his mother died when he was 14. And, and when he was 16, he was throwing, thrown in prison for stealing. And his dad bailed him out and, and made him go, wanted him to go to this, this uh, divinity, Hale Divinity University in London. And, and then he went there, and, and there was 900 students there at the time. And later on in his life, they did an interview with him. And he said, out of the 900 men that are a part of this divinity, he said only nine of them actually feared God. So here you had all these 900 men that were there to learn about God, but no one had a passion for God. No one really desired God. And this man, George Mueller, he, man, he, he ministered three times, three times a week for over 40 years. And he spent 17 years on the mission field and he ministered over 3 million people, spoken over 42 nations, spoke throughout the United States of America, worked with D.L. Moody and in different ones. And he was a man that, that, that his dad had bailed him out of prison when he was 16. What he's known for is he's known for having a heart for orphans. And in his lifetime, he ministered to over 10,000 orphans. He built an orphanage. And the thing is, is when he would go to people, he would never tell people about his money that he needed. He would never ask for money. God always provided. And he had one guy came up to him and said, and said, it must be a great undertaking to fund this orphanage. His orphanage, when he first began, had 3,600 kids. 3,600 kids. By the time that he died, he had over five orphanages and could minister to 10,000 at a time. And he had this, 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 this passion for God. And he had this, this belief on the inside of him because of the God that gave him this vision about ministering to orphans that God was just going to take care of him. But it all started, this passion that started with him in praying and knowing that God was going to meet his needs. Millions of dollars. There was times that he would sit around at the table with, with, with thousands of young people and they're sitting in rows of tables and they have no food to eat. He would sit them down at the tables and he would minister to them about God's provision and God's faith and just knowing that God would provide. And they'd sit down at the table, they'd fold their hands and they'd pray and they'd thank God for his provision. And usually within moments, there would be a knock at the door and someone would say, oh, some, uh, we, we, we thought that you might need food. But this happened time and time and time and time again. And he had millions of dollars in the bank, millions of dollars to fund everything that he needed, but never asked one person for a dime because he had a great vision. He was a, he was a, he was a champion. Now, there's other downfalls in his life when it came to his, his wife and understanding other things about faith. But he had this unshakable faith when it pertained to God was going to provide for him. But it was in his prayer time that he became a champion because he saw that because God told me to do this, God's going to provide for it. Because God spoke to me, he's going to bring it to pass. See, you praying doesn't bring it to pass. What you have to understand, it's your prayer to God. It's your communion to him and he brings it to pass. It's not, you're, it's not putting faith in your prayer, it's putting faith in God. See, most people try to put faith in their prayers instead of putting faith in God. The one is that the object of our prayer. Amen? 
See, to me, people try to put faith in their faith and put faith in the mechanics and the, rel- the religious rituals they do. But when everything comes back to, I'm putting my faith in God. And it's allowing him to see it. Nehemiah was able to see what other people couldn't see. For years, they were in bondage and they saw rubble. They saw burning things. People kept coming into their city and stealing things, but no one could see what he could see and he was never ever there. But yet in prayer, he got a vision of it. In prayer, he was able to see it. Prayer changes things. Prayer gives you a vision. Prayer causes you to do what other people can't do. And see what other people can't see. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You have to get a vision. And that vision comes from time of prayer. It's the foundation. That's the foundation of a champion. What, is it, what does an athlete see? They see, it, they see a vision down on the inside. I remember when Dr. Savell went and in, in, uh, was with Evander Holyfield. And... And before he had, it was at, right after he had um, fight, fought Mike Tyson and at the time when Mike Tyson was hungry and bit his ear and, and everything. And in and, and that time, and he asked Evander Holyfield, what, what, what they were, he was on, actually Evander Holyfield was on Dr. Savelle's plane. And he asked him, well, what do you, you know, what do you do before you go in a fight? I, he goes, I, en, I envision everything that I've, I envision winning and I envision everything that I've trained and everything that I've worked for, I envision it as being the very thing that's going to cause me to be the heavyweight champion of the world. Athletes, no different. There was, there was a vision on the inside of them that I'm going to do this. There's a vision on the inside that I'm going to make this shot. I'm going to, I'm going to be this. I'm going to do this. I can do that. I can do this. You know, a person that broke the, broke the, the four-minute mile envisioning that I can do this when no one else had ever done and broken a four-minute mile. But yet it happens all the time today. But it's getting a vision of it. See, see there's natural things that work, but, but most importantly, as, as you and I, is becoming a champion in God, but it's coming from that personal time, that personal time. I, I remember... Before I came to Texas, and I, I was planning on, uh, I was planning on coming to Bible school here, and I had a friend and a guy I knew that went to Rama, and he kept telling me, like, you, "You don't need to go to JSM. You need to go to Rama, because you, you need to go to Rama, because you know." And and I, I mean, I didn't, I don't knew one one other person that had gone to JSMI, the Bible school I went to, and he kept saying, "You need to go to Rama. Rama is a lot better school. You know, there's a lot more students there. It's been around a lot longer." And and he kept trying to sell me on this and. And, and then so there was a part of me that started questioning it. But I had to go back to, the Lord kept saying, what have I told you to do? What have I told you to do? It's not about what someone else might think, think is better. It's what have I told you to do? But it came down to knowing that in that prayer time and knowing that, that this is where God's directing my life. This is what God wants me to do in my life. Hallelujah. Prayer gives you strategy, plans, and it cultivates in you character and conviction. Let me say it again. Prayer gives you strategy, plans, and it cultivates in you character and conviction. People throughout biblical history will, con- will confirm that prayer is a place where their great- greatest battles were won. And where they experienced their greatest victories. I believe prayer becomes the basis for all other victories. The foundation we lay becomes the platform of which all other victories can stand. The effects of prayer don't know the bounds of distance or time. Prayer changes things. It changes us. 
It strengthens our faith. It helps us see things through the eyes of God. It softens our hearts. It gives us courage. And it molds us to become God's champions. So we have to put first things first. In Nehemiah 1, let's look at verse 11. Nehemiah 1, verse 11. This is the end of his prayer. It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant in the prayer of your servants who delight to revere and fear your name. Man, this is Nehemiah. Throughout this book, I think it's 13 chapters, there's over 11 times where he bows before God and prays. He begins, he begins the book with it and he ends the book with it. 11 times out of 13 chapters, you see him on his knees seeking wisdom and direction. So here he says, your nature and attributes. Now what? And prosper, I pray you, your servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was a cupbearer to the king. There's two things he asked for. What were they? Prosper. Prosper, I pray you, your servant this day. Prosper. Now it's interesting, this word prosper in the Hebrew is a word tasselech. And this word doesn't necessarily mean financial gain. It doesn't mean financial increase. It can, but the root of this word and what this word means when he says prosper, I pray you, the word means to make progress. It means to make progress. So when, he, when, when Nehemiah is praying, what's he praying for? He's praying for two things. I'm praying, God, that we make progress, and I'm praying that we have, I have mercy with the king. What two amazing prayers that we could pray in our own lives. Father, prosper us. Cause us to increase. Cause us to advance. Cause us to go beyond. Cause, cause us to make steady progress. Sounds like our prophetic word this year, right? 2017, the faithful will flourish. And one of those words for flourish is to make progress. And so that prayer here, he's saying, Father, that we would, we would make progress and that we would have mercy with our King. And tonight, that's my prayer over every single one of us, that you would make progress and that you would have favor on your life. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for mercy with the King, that I would have favor with the King. And that's my prayer for you, that you would advance in your life, Tommy, that you would advance in your life, Adrian, seeing that you would advance in your life, that no one's going backwards, we're going forwards. And, and then along the way, we're gonna have the favor with the people we need to have favor. We're gonna have mercy with the coaches we need to have mercy with, favor with. We're gonna have, we're gonna have favor when it comes to our jobs. We're gonna have favor with when it comes to our business. We're gonna have favor when it comes to our finances. We're gonna have favor when it comes to our houses and, and the things that we purchase. We're gonna have favor. And that's my prayer for every single one of us that we would make progress and that we would have mercy and favor along our journey. That's what a champion does. A champion is willing to pray. And found the foundation of his life is prayer. And his prayer wasn't about his personal success. His prayer was about the success of an entire people. And that's one thing that a, a champion, true champions all are about is, is they're more concerned with the whole than they are about just the individual. You know, I've played on different teams and, and, and played soccer, played in college and, and things. And I'm telling you, I had, I had players I played with that were, that were amazing, amazingly. I played on some amazingly talented teams, but yet we didn't, 
we didn't, we didn't maybe have not won the state or won, won our, our division. But then there's teams that we were less talented where we won everything because we worked as a team. And so you understand that your prayer being the foundation of everything isn't just about your life, but it's about everyone around you and everyone in your life. Amen. So I want to ask you a question. How's your prayer life? And that's not to, that's not to condemn you. That's not to make you feel small or, or anyway. It's just, to, it's just to challenge you to understand that the most important part of your life is your relationship with God. Bottom line. A champion puts first things first. And that's his personal time with God. As I said, my prayer for you tonight is that you would make prosper, that you would make progress and that you would have favor in every area of your life. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight and we thank you for how it challenges us to think differently and how it challenges us to pursue you. Because you are the answer, you are the, you are the fixer, you are the one, the molder, the shaper, you are the one that does amazing things in our lives. And we're grateful for it and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name. Anyone stand to your feet?